maybe that's unique to uh, our generation, Curtis, not to play us off as being too old, that, <laughs> that, we, that we believe that, you know, the vendors work for us. We don't work for the vendors necessarily. Um, well, I've changed my position on that now that I work for vendors. <laughs> <Now> that's, <laughs> that's, that's funny. You could restore Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. This is your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup. I have, again, a couple of hosts. This is a part two uh, in what may be a two-part, maybe a three-part episode. <laughs> Going we'll for three. Uh, Going for three, we'll see how it goes. Uh, but, of course, I will again welcome uh, my friend, Prasanna Malayandi. How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. Long time. Been, it's been ages. <laughs> and uh, and again, my friend Jeff Rockland from what we now know as Round Beach. <laughs> Heidi, Heidi, ho. <laughs> and um, we're, we, we all sound giddy. It's because we've been talking for backups for about 45 minutes. And now we're just going to keep on talking about backups for another probably 45. And then we might actually get to actually discussing the topic. So um, the topic is picking a backup product. The previous episode, we talked about gathering requirements. We talked about how challenging it could be to figure out just where all the data is. Jeff, you did a really good job, I think, of explaining the, you know, the challenges of a modern day architecture because the data can be anywhere. And then once you've identified all that data, then you got to figure out who owns that data. And then you got to figure out what they actually want you to do with that data. So now, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about, um, uh, before we get to the actual picking of the products, <clears throat> there, there's this process, and Jeff, I want to, again, bring you back to back in the 90s when you and I worked together at that little aerospace company. Yep. They had a really cool process that I took a lot of value from. Uh, do you remember what what that was called? Yeah, the classic process reviews. There was the... Um... Yeah, you had to present every step of the way to different configuration boards. I, I really I really learned a lot from that. This this idea of once you've identified all these people, you know, and you you yeah. meet with them and then you figure out what you think they want and then you have to that you had to P that was the it was a PDR, like the pre-design review. <laughs> Basically, yeah. it's like figure out what they've told you and then you have a meeting to tell them what you think they told you, yeah. right? Yeah. This is what we heard you say. You yeah. said you want all the data backed up all the time and you want an RTO and an RPO of zero. Do we have that Yeah, correctly? Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is a classic way of doing things. It's the measure twice and cut once, right? Make, right. sure that, make sure that you understand and everybody agrees. It's the what I was talking about um, when I was talking about ideally what you want is you want to get somebody to sign a piece of paper that says, yes, you can throw that data out before you throw it out. It's that, right? It's getting them to say it in, as fr in front of as many witnesses as possible <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day. Uh, and I and I want to say, though, I'm not 100% sure of it, that this is all ingrained in ITIL somewhere. I'm I, sure it is. Yeah, I yeah. told standards, this whole process is in there somewhere. Right. I, I just, it was my first exposure to a change control process that rigorous. And I remember 
not liking it at first, but it's it's actually really empowering because you you basically you invite all the stakeholders to the meeting yep. and you present. And if the stakeholders didn't send a representative, you move forward. You yep. know, we yep. had the meeting, we presented the thing and yep. you weren't there to say anything you know negative about it. And so we move forward. Um, and uh, another thing that I learned from that process, basically what, what Chris Haas taught me, find the in the crowd and make them happy and then everybody else would be fine. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the person who would be the most critical in these meetings, but what, but you don't remember this guy. Uh, I don't remember this guy. I have his face burned into my head. (laughs) I I remember that piece of advice though. It's very, very specifically you find the you find the guy in the room that's going to give you the most crap and you make sure you prepare your presentation towards him he's your target audience because yes. make him happy everybody else just comes along for the ride yep exactly that was that was uh, some great advice from chris haas uh which at that time was was i guess technically both our bosses right yeah he was the director um at the uh in the group we were in at the aerospace company Right. Uh, and, and so this idea of presenting, so, because I, I don't think a lot of people work in such rigid environments. And so I, I guess I'm just trying to pass on that advice. So you, you gathered all the requirements and then you need this phase where you present, here's all of the data we think we found. Here's all the people we think, you know, uh, own all that data. And here's the requirements that we think we gathered from that data. Do we have all the things? Right. You need you need that. forever. Hold your peace. Yeah. Forever. Hold your peace. Right. Um, and then we need to move forward at an attempt at a design. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and I think this is where the nerd in us comes out perhaps a little too soon. I think that it's very easy for us to get excited about especially somebody like me, I'm excited about putting in a new backup product, right? I'm excited about dumping product X that I've hated for so long. And, and I I guess my question for you is before I go and even consider looking at a new backup product, to what degree do I owe looking at the, you know, the existing backup infrastructure and whether or not I can make that work to these requirements? Oh, I always, I mean, you always want to try to, um, uh, you always want to try to see whether or not the company whose product you currently own can support the, I mean, they, they may have a newer version of the product that you just have to pay more for to get it, right? And and that makes life easier on many different levels because you don't have to rip out everything and start over. Or you may, you know, what, you, what you're doing is you come out of your requirements gathering with a list of things, you know, you're, you're, that you want to work with. And then it's like everything in life. There's the, the things I must have, the things I would like to have, and the gold plate, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you figure out based on your budget. Now, in an, I'll step back for a second, right? In an ideal world, you have done a lot of this stuff in your planning prior to budgeting for the year so that you could go in with budgetary quotes that make sense, right? But realistically, that never happens. We wind up throwing a placeholder against the wall in the budget that sounds reasonable to us based on our expectations of what we want to do. And then you wind up having to value engineer your final solution down simply because 
you thought you had five petabytes of data, and then there was this guy over here who was squirreling away another 13 petabytes of data that you didn't know about, right? And that's, of course, going to cost more licenses, and therefore you no longer have enough money in the budget. So uh, typically what happens is I predefine the box for myself, which is the money I'm willing to put away in the budget to, to do the project. And then once I've got all the information gathered, I have my list of must-haves in order to survive, things that will dramatically improve our lives, and I'm willing to actually go back and ask for more money for if I need it. And then the things that are absolutely awesome, but only if I, I got the numbers right from the start. Okay. And then, um, and then I'm in a position where when I go and I start looking at vendors, um, I can check those boxes and see how far down the list I get before I run out of cash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I'll go to, you know, I'll go to guys like, like you at Druva and say, okay, give me a quote based on this and then give me the same quote, except based it on this. And then give me another quote based on this. Right. And have you quoted to me three different ways so I can see how much I can actually afford. Um, and, and so that's typically how I do it. Right. Um, uh, it's, it's easier that way. And I will look at my existing product first and see if there's anything I can do with it to make it fit into some of the guidelines. I mean, can I make it, can I make it work by adding more infrastructure underneath it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, because I'm saving the company money at the end of the day. And, and that's my responsibility right. as a technology director is to the, the people who, you know, pay my, pay my bills. So, so a couple of things. One is, uh, thanks for reminding me, uh, although Prasanna and I do both work for Druva, this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are our own. I, I'll say two things. One is, uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time sort of helping people figure out their backup products, buy new backup products, redesign their current backup product, et cetera, right? And I think two things. One is I don't think people spend enough time looking at what they currently have and whether or not it could be enhanced to support their current environment, right? I think think it's human nature for us to go- New shiny toy. New shiny toy or, you know, it's like, it's like the, you know, once you've sort, it's like, it's like when you- you know, if if you're ever at a company and you resign and you give two weeks notice, those last two weeks are the worst yeah. because you've made the decision to leave and everything sucks now, right? <laughs> so it's it's like that with a backup product. But once you've decided that it that it sucks, you, you don't want to hear that it could be made better, right? But it is quite possible that either a reconfiguration of the product or a reconfiguration of the yeah. storage or the computer, whatever, could possibly make the product better and possibly meet your requirements so that's one thing but but it's just a counterpoint on that though curtis i do think there is though you or you also have to look at the effort it takes and the cost agreed of making your existing product so as long as there is that balance i totally agree that it is reasonable to look at your existing product first but don't try to jump through 500 different hoops if it's not going to work the the second half of my comment is when people, the other thing that we happen to do is we talk to one sales rep, we, we see one ad and we're like, we see product X and we're like, product X is the solution to all my problems. And then we're going to put in product X. If you're going to look at other products, I think you need to look at, you know, you need to look around. This is where I caution people. Don't, I, I, I say this a lot, but I'll say it again. Don't dictate the design to the vendor, dictate requirements, right? Mr. Vendor, Miss Vendor, I have 
I have this much data in these places. I have in an AWS. By the way, I, Persona, we have another drinking game. It's the number of times that we say either AWS or an AWS product. <laughs> oh, boy. I forgot. What was last episode's drinking game, Persona? It was something about when Curtis says, uh, I forgot what it was. It was some, yeah, it was some it was work. Somewhere. Yeah. It was somewhere. Anyway, so this word AWS is coming up a lot. So, you know, I have the I have I have stuff in AWS. I have a stuff in Azure. I have these SaaS products. I have these laptops. I have these are all the things. Uh, how and and these are my RTOs and RPOs. How would you protect them? Do that. Not like the the, the analogy that I always use is you go to a vendor and you say I have a hundred thousand cars that need to go from A to B every day. That's your requirement. Your requirement is not, I need a bridge. Yeah. Right. Now it's yeah. quite possibly a bridge may be the only way to do that, but g- give the vendors the possibility of blowing your mind and coming to you and go, by the way, we now have a tra- uh, teleportation device. Right. So just, so that, that's one thing that I caution when people are looking at other vendors. And by the way, Persona, just to piggyback on your comment, I don't think people put enough uh, effort into uh, looking at level of effort anywhere, right? Level of effort, TCO, whatever you want to call it, right? Just look at the total cost of what you're doing, which includes the storage and the compute and all of the labor that's going to go into um, redesigning or designing things, you know, long term. So they underestimate that all the time. Uh, that? Yeah. Well, I mean, labor's free, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I hate to sound callous about it, right? But I mean, I got systems engineers who work for me. That's part of their day-to-day job. They'll have to make it work. So um, to be to be fair, um, in the last time I did this, I actually took advantage of a VAR to uh, help me see multiple products and bring in the reviews when it came time to uh, review different products and do proof of concept. Took um, advantage of a what? A VAR, a value-added reseller. Okay, I heard a bar. And I was well, really confused. I'm always taking advantage of the bar when I have the opportunity, but that's a different story. The other, the other thing that's really difficult is, um, and this is part of the, you know, the, just part of the way our, our capitalistic world works. There's too many damn products out there. Many of them just do the same damn thing or do it with a slightly little bit of difference. And at some point, you have to cut off the number of people you're going to look at. Right. Agreed. Because if you look at everybody, you'll never make a decision. You'll just be in this constant, never-ending loop. Um, I got into during my last selection process. I got into it a little bit with the engineering staff that I was working with, because I had narrowed us down to three products. Even though there were probably, you know, we we looked at the marketplace. We started out with five. We narrowed it down to three that we were going to do proof of concepts with, right? And then at the very last minute, another guy came along through a uh, through a vendor that was doing some stuff that made me a little uncomfortable. And all of a sudden, you know, there was a push for that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're we've made a decision. It's it's a good decision. Let's just go with it. Um, uh, but having to have that fight at the end is ridiculous. You know, you gotta, you gotta set your boundaries at some point and just move ahead with it. It's like, it's like when you buy a computer, the second you take that computer out of the store, it's out of date and there's something better in the marketplace. So you just got to buy what you want to buy and what fits your price and then move on and don't look back. Right. The, 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 the phrase, uh, don't let the best be the enemy of the good. Right. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. What, one tool that I found helpful for me when I was helping uh, companies was that RFI that we talked about in the last episode. It, it doesn't have to be a 300 question RFI, but if you have, if you have, if you can, I, I think, although there are, Jeff, I totally agree with you that there are a lot of products that often do the same thing. If you are able to say, listen, I, I'm looking for a product that can do these 10 things. Do you do all 10 things? Uh, I, I think you, that can help uh, mm-hmm. narrow it down from 50 to yeah. some number less than 50. And if you can do that, um, now that's a whole whole other discussion, which could be an episode of its own, which is, which is better, one product that does 10 things mediocre or 10 products that do 10 things awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, I tend, I've always, and, and I realize that, you know, now I work for a company that's one of those companies that does 10 things. Uh, and so it might sound like I'm being self-serving, but I, I've always felt that way. I've always felt that, that um, I, I would prefer one product that does a bunch of things because of the learning curve issue, because backups is already complicated enough. Uh, if you can reduce the number of products that you have to learn and manage, I, I think that's a that's a good thing. But you love yeah. backups, Curtis. Come on, don't you want to learn new products? Yeah. <laughs> but it's also it's a staffing issue in the long run, right? Too. I mean, most most IT departments are not that big anymore. Even at big companies, they're trying to, to narrow down and focus as much as possible. And so, if you have one product that can do five different things really well versus having to have three different products to get those five or six things done. Mm-hmm. Um, all of a sudden you need two people to manage it instead of one because right. it becomes, you know, the workflow becomes more complicated and then, you know, and then you're in all kinds of other problems. So I, right. I agree with you when I was looking for the right solution, I was looking for the right combination that, that goes back to the list of must have would be nice to have and absolutely too expensive, but if I can afford it, I'll buy it. Right. right? It's, it's, it gives you the opportunity to look at the feature set of all the products you want to look at and and see how far down the line you can get before you say up oh, out of money can't afford to do that anymore and it helps make the decision easier right i i do also think that you need to look at the workloads that you have and figure out which are like really top of mind for you right which are the most yeah. critical yeah. so if let's say be, because not all products are equally good at at everything right so if VMware is the most important thing that you have in your data center, you wouldn't want to get a Hyper-V centric backup product that's just okay at VMware, sort of, I guess yeah. that's what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So you want to, you want to, you want to look at that uh, because just because somebody has a checkbox that says they do VMware or Hyper-V or SQL Server or whatever, they, they might, it might literally be just a checkbox feature. Yeah. Right? No, um, yeah. So what, uh, so how, how did you, how would you approach a, a new vendor? So, so it sounds like you, you were able to go through a VAR for, for some of them. Did you always go through a VAR? No. Um, some of them, I knew the vendors from, from experience and from history together. So, um, if, uh, if there was a particular product I knew and was interested in, I'd call them and call up the guy I knew over there and say, Hey, can you come out and give me a product update? Right. Typically, uh, a good salesman won't ever pass up the opportunity to come out and or at least 
do a, a Zoom conference call, um, giving you the latest update on the product. Some of them, you know, um, were people who I dealt with in the past who've reached out to me who had something new. As a as a director of tech, I and over the infrastructure side of the house, and maybe this was a luxury that I shouldn't take advantage of from time to time, but. I, when, when a vendor reached out to me, whether I'd known them or not known them, and they had an interesting product, I would always sit down with them and let them give me a presentation because it kept me up to date with what was going on in the marketplace because you never know when you're going to need to go in that space again, right? Mm. There, are, there are a lot of people, especially in the upper, upper levels, who look down on that because they think you're spending too much time having people selling you. But what they don't seem to realize is, when you move away from being hands-on all the time, that's how you keep track of what's going on in the world, right? You talk to the different vendors in the marketplace. They, you go to you go to conferences um, and you talk to the different guys in the different booths. You learn about the products that are out there so that you could store this way in the back of your head and say, wait, that guy does this. Let me call them and take a look at where they're at, right? <clears throat> and so a lot of it was my knowledge of different products from the past where I'd spoken to different vendors. And then I would send the vendor to the VAR. If I, you know, when, when we made a decision to work with a VAR to do all of this, it was because we were trying to actually accomplish a couple of different products, a couple of different projects, excuse me, simultaneously. We were going to do a storage replacement as well uh, as repair the backups, uh, problems that we were having. And we were also talking about looking at ways to implement some business resumption within the backup product, right? So... I could bring the VAR in who has connections with multiple vendors who could then say, hey, we've listened to your requirements. Let me go out and talk to our different experts and see what we would recommend back. And then in the meantime, I could also go back to them and say, hey, do you rep these guys? Well, here, go call them. I want to see them. And they would do all the coordination and bring those presentations in and then sit there and listen to me. And I, I, it also gives me the opportunity to only have to argue with one set of people over price <laughs> later, right? Because mm. I just argue with them and, and they're the throat to choke. So, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, some people, you know, different companies have different opinions on that, right? Some people would much rather deal directly with the vendor because they, they feel they might get a better price that way. Mm. But uh, I understand what you're saying about having a company where that, that you're, you're used to working with them and you're going to continue working with them. And so they're probably less likely to, to like lie to you about a given product's capabilities because they, because they want to keep your business beyond that one particular um, engagement. They want to yeah. establish that relationship, right? As a trusted yeah. partner. So you go back. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, all, all big companies we, we do business with individual vendors, and then we also do business with bigger distributors because we have to, right? And so um, sometimes it's better to have that relationship layer in between. And in the case of the last set of projects I was working on, that's what I wanted to do. There was a previous e-commerce company that I worked for for a while <clears throat> where I wasn't really working through um, uh, any of the the, the VARs directly, except for purchasing like hardware. But to be honest with you, it's almost easier to buy through them because 
you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but when you work for a large company, you spend three to six months getting that company cleared through cybersecurity yes. and legal and all the other things you need to do in order to be able to just buy their product. So, you know, uh, the last company that I was at, which was owned by a very, very large media conglomerate, um, just doing legal review to do a, um, a proof of concept could take five weeks because right. <laughs> it's got to go through the lawyers and cyber's got to have their thing. And then cyber's got a 12 layer thing to check them out and all of this. And it's like, so you want to bring in as few vendors as you possibly can uh, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, because if you've cleared the VAR and the VAR is the one that's got, you know, all of the other stuff to clear it, you still have to fight the cyber stuff a little bit. But um, the legal tends to be taken care of because it's going to be written under the VAR's paper and, and therefore you've, you've got your, your vendor agreement in place already. That makes a big difference, especially with big companies, because the, the process of getting a vendor approved can be stifling. The, uh, okay. So, all right. So you brought up, you used the letters POC, which of course is proof of yeah. concept. Yep. At what point do you think it's appropriate so you, so you've, you've, we've done all that stuff before about the requirements gathering, and now we've shortened the list to say two or three different vendors that we think might be able to do it. Yep. At what point do you take that next step of actually, you know, touching a product to see if it does what it claims it does? And how um, extensive are these POCs in terms of the amount of time it takes you? Oh, sure. Uh, once once I've got it narrowed down to the two or three, in the case of the last um, last time I did this, we narrowed it down to three products. Um, that's when I go and I move to, to proof of concept. Um, and then, you know, you draw up um, uh, basically a project plan of the, the goals that you want to execute on. Um, typically, I would give up depending on how much time I have and how, how early I started the project, I'll give anywhere between two and four weeks to it. Um, you know, it also depends on how complex it is and what level of complexity I want to test it down to. Um, but usually I spend two to three weeks because if you're talking about stuff that requires physical installation in the data center, that's going to be a week all by itself once you kick it off. Um, if, and, and so, um, probably about three to four weeks to actually execute on it. And by the way, at this point, I'm going to jump in and say that your project management office does not understand the concept of spending time thinking about something <laughs> to a conclusion, nor do they understand the concept of a proof of concept. Um, they are only interested in checking boxes most of the time. Sorry to all the PMs that I'm pissing off by saying that. Um, so when you go to them and you say, I'm going to replace the backup system and it's going to take three months to do it, or it's going to take five months because I'm going to spend three months doing the, the data collection up front, they don't understand why. And they're standing on your neck you know, four weeks in saying, why can't you get this done sooner? Why is this taking so long? Right, because they don't understand it, because they're not actually out there having to fight the good fight of finding the people and finding the data sources, and doing the install and doing the testing and making sure that things run properly for a week or for two weeks before you uh, commit to it. They've got boxes to check. So let let me ask you the following. So there's two schools of thought on POCs. One is 
take the vendor that you just have a gut feeling is your is you know your current favorite your your in your mind the one that you think is most likely to not be full of crap you know and or be most successful and do the POC with them and then if that works then they're in or you've narrowed it down to two to three vendors and you do a POC on all three to see which one actually does the best in the field. So usually when I've chosen, let's say, three vendors to, to look at, there's something unique about each of the products, right? So one of them has a physical hardware component that lives in my data center, and part of it is cloud-based, right? One of them is all cloud-based as a service. You know what I'm saying? One of them has another feature set. They're all, they all deliver the basics that I'm looking for, and they deliver far enough down the list that, that I want to see what they can do. Um, but there's something unique about them. So I'm not going to buy two products that do exactly the same thing in exactly the same way and spend three weeks on each of them. Does that make sense? I'm um, not sure. So it's not really a head-to-head comparison then is what you're saying. Well it, well, it is because part of it is about how they deliver on the core. It's about how they deliver on the core necessities, what I need done, right? The, the work product. But they may work in different ways, and they may have different ways of presenting it. Um, and therefore, I want to see which of those methods is the best, and who's engineered the better solution, right? So I'm not. So I'm not sure you've answered the question. Do we test all three products, or do we test the one that we think is most likely to win? No, I think we. T- I think what we've done is we've decided to test the three products that we think any one of the three of them could win, and then okay. we want to see which one's the best. Okay, because there is there is cost, and you know you're you're not necessarily purchasing them, but there are there are definitely companies that, you know, now having been on the vendor side, um, th- th- there's a cost to the vendor as well to provide a POC, and some vendors are reticent to do a POC unless you say, I will sign the project if you, you know, I will approve the project, and you will get the deal if you meet these requirements. Yeah, they're less. They're less likely to. You're going to participate in a bake off, and the um, one who the one who wins the bake off is the one who's going to get the business. Um. Okay. Then I've been well. I've come across that. Um. I guess I'm fortunate that I've worked for large companies. Um. Yeah. Well, where, it's one thing when you work for a you know a Disney. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, well, yeah. do you want Disney's business? Well, and that's, Not everybody that's, works for companies that you can name drop like that. Right. And that's and that's kind of often been the answer is you know well okay if you don't want to participate in this that's fine I get it. Um. I'm not going to. GTFO. Yeah. I mean. Generally, I'm not going to sign anything in advance that says if if we meet all of these requirements, I will immediately. Right. Uh, because I mean, the reality is, you're either going to give me some licenses and let me try the product before I buy it, right? You're either going to let me get in the car and drive it around the block to make sure that it works before I buy it, or you're not. And if you're not, then I'm going to go someplace else where they will. You know, um, th- this will sound off topic, but I remember you remember the well, it's still out the Honda Odyssey. Yeah. Do you remember when the Honda Odyssey was the hottest like minivan on the market? Do you remember there was a time when that was a thing? Yep. Yeah. 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 So you couldn't test drive a Honda Odyssey. You had to pre-purchase it. It was that popular that you had to pay cash or whatever for the car before you ever even saw the car you were going to buy and you were not allowed to test drive it. Yeah. And I just remember going, 
I'm sorry, no. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, and, and that's how I ended up with a Toyota Sienna. Yeah, I, I mean, my, my thinking on that is, you know, if it's the 1965 Mustang that was being driven by, you know, um, Steve McQueen and Bullet, and it's the only one in the world that exists, then yeah, I might understand why you're telling me I have to pay for it up front before I get to drive right, it. But right. if it's one of 100 million coming off the assembly line, <laughs> yeah, my answer yeah. to that is, okay, then I'll go find a company that wants my business, not right. one that just assumes that I'm going to to fall back and be, you know, the sheep there. And maybe that's, maybe that's unique to uh, our generation, Curtis, not to play us off as being too old, that, that, we, that we believe that, you know, the vendors work for us. We don't work for the vendors necessarily. Um, well, I've changed my position on that now that I work for vendors. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. So, so for me, um, I, the other, the other thing I've got as a general rule for me, when it comes to selecting a product is, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's possible that the gold plated product's going to walk in the door up front and it's going to be everything I need. And maybe I'm in a position where I have to, I have to go now, you know, I have to make that blink kind of decision and make a decision right away because I don't have time, but, um, I believe in doing your homework. And so I will always want to try at least one or two that are out there. Now, to be fair, um, one of the other things, one of the requirements I put on the vendor is if you can't hand me the product and I can figure out how to use it within a day, you know, if, spend a couple of hours with me explaining the basics and then leave me alone to run it, um, there's a problem right away, right? If your product is that complex that you need to babysit me for the entire length of the proof of concept, um, rather than just giving me the support number and letting me call if I have issues, then maybe it's not the right product. And, and I've bounced off of that with, with vendors, right? I've, I've had vendors where I was doing uh, a testing on, on a product and it seemed like it wasn't performing right. And I tried to get them to pay attention. And, and the distinction was one of the products we were testing had a local storage cache that sped things up and the other product didn't. And they didn't come back and say, well, you know, if we put a local storage cache over here, you'll get this kind of dramatic improvement. And so at the end of the day, there was nothing to demonstrate that the product was superior because it just seemed like it wasn't, right? And that's, it's a mixed bag. I want the, I want the sales engineer, once, I've, once I'm done getting wined and dined and sold on, on the product, I, I want the sales engineer to sit down with me, help me figure out how to get it up and running in, in what would be the right configuration to do it and then give me your phone number let me give you a call if i have a problem and i'll see you in a week and a half when we review mm. yeah um a lot of lot of companies don't want to do that right so what once you've done the poc right mm -hmm. and that now you've you, you've clearly you gotta you gotta pick one at some point you gotta pick yeah. a horse right what's that next phase like in terms of so let you know Obviously, you got a you got a purchasing process, and you get the, all that you get you get all that out of the way. Now, what about um, get, changing over to the new Wait, thing? Before we Go get ahead. there, yeah, sure. Can I sure. ask a question? So, have you how do you deal with cases? So, where so say you picked the product A. And you said, this is technically the one we want to go through. Now it starts going through purchasing and everything else. And they're like, we can't do product A. It's basically I, a product is technically sound, but there are other factors beyond the yeah, technical aspects that prevent okay. you from buying there's, that product. There's something in the 
the license agreement that the company won't sign off on or cybersecurity has an issue. It turns out that the headquarters of product A is in a communist country or something. Right. Or, or, or they, or they take copies of all of your customer data as part of the backup and they stick okay. it off on, oh, that's on a, their that's a really good question persona. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I've actually bounced off. There was one company that they were backing it up in a way in the cloud where it wasn't as well protected as our cyber requirements were laid out to be. And therefore there was a risk that, you know, PCI or PII data could get out and therefore they were not acceptable, right? Or they couldn't provide a product roadmap that showed that they were going to fix that in a reasonable period of time. So I've, I've had uh, products that were um, rejected by cybersecurity um, or by, uh, which was the one? There was one, it's not backup related, but I had a, I had um, a phone system that I had implemented. It was a voice over IP phone system. And I wanted to link it to a Microsoft uh, Office 365, which is what we were using for email and calendaring. And cyber wouldn't let us do it because there was something they considered in the API of I think the Microsoft side of things that was insecure to allow the two products to talk to each other. And they just absolutely <laughs> banned it. And if you want to talk about putting a bullet in the head of a product that's responsible for keeping track of like meetings and phone calls and stuff like that, if it can't link to your calendar, <laughs> yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and that's, yeah, I've had that happen. Uh, you know, when it happens, it happens. You wind up going back to the vendor and saying, I'm really sorry. Do you think this is something that you're going to be able to fix? And if they can't, we part friends and I remember them for the next place I'm going to be at. Good, Really good question, Prasanna. Yeah. And then, so the question is, what do you do as, you, because th- there is this rollover, rollover? That's the wrong, rollout. <laughs> there, is <Yeah>. this, <laughs> there is this rollout of the product at some point, uh, you know, and you, you, you might have a POC. The POC might still be operational. I know that happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, that the POC basically gets turned into a pilot, yeah. where you expand the POC and um, and essentially turn it into a pilot. Yeah. And then, and and then what's that like in terms of like rolling that product out? Um. Well, when it comes to backups, it's relatively painless because backups run behind the scenes, right? So there's not a lot of. Uh, user intervention. It gets ugly when you have to do something that the users are going to be directly impacted by. Um, so you install the, you know, you keep your old backup uh, continuing to run. You install the new backups. You get things up and running. You let them run for whatever period of time makes the most sense, whether it's typically it's probably about a month so that you get your dailies, your weeklies, and you get a monthly out of it, right? And, you, and you're testing the resource throughout this process all the time. Uh, so that you know that your your things are correct. And sometimes you do a restore from the old system, restore from the new system. You compare the two of them uh, so that you're, you're doing this constant check on yourself to make sure that everything looks right. And then eventually you turn the old system off. Um, typically it's, you know, 30 to 60 days, depending on how complex and how much data you're talking about in order to build up a deep enough base. Um, and then once I've turned the old system off, um, I don't throw it away, man. I stick right. it Right, you you just disable backups, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I yeah. we I will leave the old backup system, even if I power down the servers and the storage that's attached to it, per se. If I'm not using that anymore, I will power them down and I will leave them on the shelf for a year, 
that goes that goes to the pack rat in you as well. Well, again. yeah, partly it's the pack rat in me, and partly it's the you know I'm not with with very rare exception. I'm not going to go back to my old backups and restore mm. all of the old backups in order to put them out on the new system. Um, unless it's some piece of critical data that I know I have to carry forward. Um, and so therefore, if I have it tucked away for a year or longer, right, if it's tapes, leave, I'll leave those tapes out in the storage room as long as I can leave them out in the storage room. Um, then I'm at least in a position where when that one crazy person comes back after a year and goes, you know, I had this file last January and I, I God, I, I really need it now. I might be able to still recover it. Um, right. Because again, I'm about customer service, right? And I want to do the best I can to, to service the needs of a customer that doesn't always know what they want. Yeah. The, the, you have to be uh, a mind the, reader. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or, you, or you're a pack rat and you just, yeah. you know, you never throw anything away. Actually, the, I think a better word would be Boy Scout. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Excuse me while I throw up. Oh. Anyway, um, stop. No. Uh, what? What the uh, I I compl- I've always been a fan, Jeff, of that parallel imp- parallel implement. <laughs> yeah. I've always been a fan of that parallel implementation method that you described. The one hiccup that I have experienced over the years uh, goes back to my favorite, as I make quotes in the air, operating system, and that's Windows, because so many. If you're doing direct backups of Windows, what you're using is what's referred to as the Windows Archive bit. And the problem is if you've got two backup products running on the same Windows host, uh, the archive bit steps on each other and the and you end up not backing up all the files from one to the other. Does that make sense? Yeah. So luckily that's, too, right? yes, database is what you can have the, the truncating logs issue, right? Yeah. So just be, be aware. I completely concur with you, Jeff, that, you know, whenever possible, do that parallel implementation just realize that sometimes backup products stomp on each other and just make sure you're accounting for that yeah um and and with that i think we've talked about this as long as we should on this episode uh so i'm gonna finish things out and again thank you jeff again for you what did what did did you call yourself (laughs) you called yourself the what what was that the fount of worthless knowledge what was that uh, useless knowledge man the useless knowledge man. But useless this was knowledge. not useless knowledge. This was really <laughs> good you. knowledge. As, as, as my motto is, it's only useless until you need it. <laughs> exactly. So uh, thanks again for, for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. This has been great. I love thank talking you, with you. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> and uh, thank you again to the listeners. Make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe 